If you have a copy of God's Word, if you could turn with me to the book of Psalms. So go to the middle of your Bible and open it up, and you will find the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me, or it will be printed for you. The text will be in your bulletin uh, this morning. We have been studying the book of Psalms this summer, and it has uh, been really good for me personally as we've spent time in the Psalms. I hope you would say the same. And one of the things that we've been learning uh, in our study of the book of Psalms is that uh, they've been called a medicine chest for the soul or for the heart. And me, what that means is that wherever you find yourself, whatever you might be feeling, there's a psalm for you. The psalms give voice um, to the way we feel and what's going on inside of us. They give words to our prayers and songs for us to sing that lead us to Jesus. And in Psalm 58, uh, we come this morning to an imprecatory psalm. What is an imprecatory psalm? Those are the psalms that you read and you think, this guy sounds really angry. (laughs) Uh, Imprecatory psalms are uh, when the psalmist calls down curses on their enemies. And this morning we see David doing that. This is a psalm of David. And as you're going to see, uh, the words in the psalm is pretty disturbing. We really listen And pay attention, he uses very, very strong language. But I think this psalm, as they all have been, uh, and as the Bible is, it's very relevant for us this morning. Because if you could use one word to describe the world in which we live in 2021, at the top of the list, or at least in the top three, we would use the word angry to describe the world in which we live. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 58, a song for the angry heart. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 58. This is God's word. Do you indeed decry what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away when he aims his arrows. Let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can fill the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask for God's help this morning with this passage. Let's pray together. God, when we come to a passage like this and to a topic like 
anger, it's really easy for us to think, my spouse really needs to hear this, or the person at work in my office really needs to hear this sermon. Would you convince all of us this morning that we all need to hear this? That we all struggle to varying degrees with anger. And so I pray that you would show us our hearts, that you would help us to identify our anger, and that you would teach us to pray our anger, and that uh, you would show us the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us, convince us that we're a bigger mess than we realize, but at the same time show us that your grace and your love is better than we could possibly imagine. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty obvious already that the topic this morning, or the main idea, is anger. And we're going to talk this morning about anger and its place in the Christian life. Anger is defined as the response to something or someone you love that has been threatened, damaged, or destroyed. Let me say that again. Anger, it's been said, is the response to something that you love that is being threatened, damaged, or destroyed. And so if you think closely about that definition, anger flows from love. What do you get angry about? You are moved to anger when something matters to you very deeply. That's why it's been said that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference and apathy. In other words, if you do not feel anger about anything, then chances are you aren't really living. Chances are you aren't really grabbing life by the horn, so to speak, and engaging with people and engaging in God's good world. Chances are if you get angry about nothing, then you're probably cynical, apathetic, and you lack love for God, love for people, and love for the world. See, our instinct, and part of this is because of the context and the culture in which we're in, living in the Deep South, when we hear anger, our knee-jerk reaction is often to think of it in very negative ways. That anger is always a bad thing. Because in our minds, we think out of control, flying off the handle, road rage. Or we think of uh, anger as something that you need to hide. Or something that you need to be embarrassed about, or... Uh, stuff or suppress or maybe even we think anger is a sign of immaturity and of course every one of those things can be true of our anger because of sin you see because of sin in the fall in Genesis chapter 3 we often do use our anger in very immature and in very ugly and harmful and damaging ways but I want to suggest this morning that anger can actually be healthy that anger is actually redemptive and can be loving. Anger is something that can lead you to change and to humility and to rest in God and into a deeper relationship with God. Think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, he implies our anger. And he even says that it is possible not to sin in our anger, when he says, if you are angry, do not sin. Ephesians 4, verse 26. 
And anger is even used to describe God, isn't it? Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so in Psalm 58, David is furious. He is angry. And this morning, I want us to look at what is called, uh, and people have called righteous anger, or good anger. And we're going to look at this psalm and look at a picture of righteous anger from David. And so we want to look and uh, learn how to use our anger in healthy ways rather than destructive ways. And so in order for that to happen, as we're going to see in this psalm, we need to learn, number one, to identify our anger, the cause of it. Secondly, we need to learn to pray our anger. And lastly... We need the hope of Jesus for our anger. So those are the three points in a roadmap of where I'm headed this morning. So let's look at our first step. And the first step towards appropriate and healthy anger is to identify the cause of it. Can you identify your anger? And we see David here. He does this. Look at verses 1 through 5. In verse 1, David is reflecting on injustice from powerful people. That's what he's doing. He's reflecting on the injustice from leaders, rulers, and judges. Powerful people who were supposed to be administers of justice and who were supposed to be establishing God's law were actually, and administering the law rightly in the world, were actually engaged in wrongdoing. Were engaged in injustice and evil. Verse 2. It's interesting if you notice the the words heart and hand are paired together. Showing us what the rest of the Bible teaches. uh, That what comes uh, out of the heart uh, or what your actions are actually come out of your heart. And he's saying here is that the heart is the problem with these rulers. And their behavior is being driven by their heart. Look at verses 3 through 5. He says they speak lies. And he describes them as having the venom of a serpent. And then he says, but uh, they're deaf to a charmer. Think about how vivid that language is. He's describing these powerful uh, rulers and leaders. And he's saying they're venomous. And they're actually cruel towards humanity. And they have their hands over their ears and they're refusing to listen to God. And so let's think about the cause of David's anger. Powerful people, leaders, rulers, those in authority are ignoring God. And they are using their power to oppress people and to bring violence on David and to bring violence on his friends and over the world. And so anger, think about it, it's a response when something that you love is being threatened, damaged, or destroyed And so what is David here? What could we say he is being threatened or damaged or destroyed? Life. What does David love? He loves people that are created in the image of God. And he loves God's good world. And when he sees people who are supposed to be bringing justice and goodness and love to the world, when he sees them using their power to bring the opposite, he gets angry. His anger is directed and pointed towards evil and injustice 
and, and the oppression that he sees in the world. What about you this morning? What makes you angry? Where is your anger directed or pointed? Can you identify your anger this morning? It's often said that anger is a secondary emotion. Meaning that the first emotion is often fear and sadness and disappointment or uh, embarrassment or shame. And those are very vulnerable things to feel. And we don't like to feel those things. And so we mask those things and it comes out of us as anger. And we cover up the first emotion which is fear and embarrassment and shame. You see, anger acts as a check engine light on the dashboard of your life. And so when you start to feel anger, maybe it's not explosive anger, maybe it's implosive, maybe it's very internal, but when you start to feel anger inside of you or if it's coming out of you, we need to pull the car over and we need to get out and slow down and open up the hood and look under the hood, so to speak, and look at what's going on inside of us and inside of our hearts. Why? Because our anger is not random. Anger is a warning light on the dashboard of your life that's telling you that something you love and value is being threatened or it's being damaged or destroyed. And so, friends, we need to get curious about our anger We need to start examining our anger. How do you do that? You start asking questions like, what is it that I love that's being damaged, threatened, or destroyed? Or better yet, ask, what is it in this moment that I'm trying to protect? And here's what you often find, or at least it's true in my life. What I often find is that because of sin, the answer to those questions, what is it I'm trying to protect, and what is it that I most love, the answer is me. That's who I'm trying to protect. That's who I most love. You see, our anger because of sin often comes out of us as self-protection. It comes out of us as self-absorption and self-centeredness. That's why our anger is so messed up and often distorted. And it's why we often get angry about the wrong things. You see, it's really important that we slow down. And we do pop the hood on the car, so to speak, and look at our heart. Because you see, identifying your anger brings clarity to your life. How does it bring clarity to your life? Well, because it reveals what you love. And in our anger, what we find and discover is that we get angry about the wrong things. We get angry about the things and the stuff that God isn't angry about. And instead of getting angry that people are being mistreated and bullied, even within our own family and children, and people are being oppressed, well, we get angry because our income goes down. Or we get angry because we're inconvenienced and we get stuck in traffic or we miss the stoplight or we're the cashier, we got in the wrong line at Costco. And it's moving way too slow. And so we get furious inside of our hearts and in our souls. Or we get angry at the ball fields. 
watching youth sports. We get angry on Saturday mornings when our kids get us up too early and we really wanted to sleep in. Or we get angry when our political party loses. Or we get angry when we miss the A by one point and we get a B plus. Or it's coming, isn't it? This fall, we get angry on Saturday afternoons when 18 to 22-year-olds don't win the game. You see, in our anger, we need to pull the car over. We need to get curious about our anger because what we will find, and friends, it's true of me. Everything I always preach is true of me too. But you know what I find in my anger and what I suggest that you would find in yours too is that it's really really deep down just entitlement. Deep down it's selfishness. We get angry, at least I do, because I didn't get my way. Because I'm not as comfortable as I think I should be. We get angry when we get made to do something that we really don't want to do. And the Bible... And the Psalms, particularly this Psalm and these imprecatory Psalms, they bring clarity. They bring focus to our hearts because they show us what makes us angry is so different than what makes God angry. So identify your anger. Which direction and where is it pointed? Is it pointed in the right direction or the wrong direction? If it's pointed in the wrong direction then the good news of the gospel, if you're a believer this morning, you take it to Jesus. And we can do it every week here. And we confess our sin. And we turn to God in repentance to experience grace and forgiveness. And when we do that, we change and grow. And you know what happens over time? Our hearts start to line up with God's heart so that we start to love the things that He loves. And we start to get angry about the things that He gets angry about. Secondly, we need to pray. If we're going to have healthy, righteous anger, we've got to learn to pray our anger. You see, we either get consumed with anger, and it takes over, and it comes out as rage, or we stuff, and we suppress it, and we ignore it. But notice, David does neither. What does David do? He prays his anger. And don't miss this. God allows him to pray his anger. God doesn't say, David, wait a minute, I didn't like the way that sounded. Man, that's harsh, David. Don't speak that way. No. God says, bring it. I can handle it. Bring your anger to me. This psalm is so raw. And look at verses 6 through 10. This is what's disturbing to people and what makes people tense up and bristle. Look at verse 6. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. Tear out their fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Again, strong, violent image here. But the context and what's being depicted is that the wicked, evil rulers are like devouring lions getting ready to come in. And to pounce on God's people. And when we get that image, then it makes sense, doesn't it? Look at the language, break their teeth, tear out their fangs. See what the psalmist is saying here? Oh Lord, defang them. Take out their teeth so that they can no longer do evil. 
and sink their teeth and fangs into people. Very vivid. Look at verses 7 and 8. Vanish. Make them vanish like the water that runs away. Let them be like a snail. Remember the image of a, You can maybe picture an image of a snail dissolving. David says, do that to the evildoers. Make them evaporate. Make them lose their ability to do evil. Remove them from the world. Do you pray this way? Friends, the Old Testament, the Bible, particularly the Psalms, they do not allow us to get complacent about injustice in the world. They don't allow us to shrug our shoulders, which I often want to do. Well, it's just the way it is. The Bible in this psalm doesn't allow us to do it, but calls us to bring and to be outraged at the injustice in the world and to complain about it to God and to pray it to Him. Do you pray this way? Do you pray with this kind of vivid language? If you don't, you should, because it's actually redemptive. And it actually will lead to your growth in your relationship with God. How does it do that? Well, first, praying your anger actually produces in you humility. Look at verse 3. The wicked are estranged from birth. This is the doctrine of total depravity right here in Psalm 58. David is saying... They are These leaders, these people in powerful places are born into sin. They're doing these things because there's something wrong with their heart, the heart that they were born with. And every commentator pointed this out. I thought it was an interesting connection. Psalm 51, they all made the connection between David's Psalm 51 and this Psalm. And remember in Psalm 51, the context is David's sin and adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, verse 5, David says the exact same thing. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. See what David, you see what the point is? When you pray your anger, it's healthy for you, and in, in praying your anger, you need to come and say, as you're saying, God, do this to the evil in the world. God, do this, take it away. As you're praying that, never forget about the evil inside of you. Amazing love. How can it be that God would die for me? As we pray our anger, we need to remember, but for the grace of God, go us. But for the mercy of God, go us. And when we do that, and actually, when we let the gospel work on our own soul in our prayers, you know what it does? It actually starts to produce in you. When you remember Jesus' compassion on you, it actually starts to produce compassion and love for your enemies, believe it or not. It actually starts to lead you towards prayer for your enemies so that you start praying, Lord, have mercy on them just like you had mercy on me. Save them just like you saved me. The other thing we see about praying our anger is it actually leads to a deeper, richer relationship with God. It leads you to trust and faith in God. Look at verse 6. Oh God, 
Notice, oh God, break their teeth. And so the call is not for you to do something about it. He's calling on God to do something about it. To remove them and to judge them. He doesn't say, God help me to dissolve them. God help me to make these people pay. No, the psalmist is saying, God, you're the judge. I trust you. I will work for justice this side of heaven. But ultimately, I will trust you God, because you're a God of justice. And I think that's so critical as we think about praying our anger, because unrighteous anger makes you big. Righteous anger makes God big. Unrighteous anger uh, puffs up in arrogance and pride and pushes you to trust in yourself, so it's self-sufficiency. Righteous anger, on the other hand, leads you to your knees. It leads you to lean in and trust God, recognizing that it's ultimately God's business to deal with your enemies. Look at verses 10 and 11. That's what we see David doing here. This is perhaps the strongest verses in the psalm, but David, I've said this a few times in the past few weeks, David's muttering to himself. You see it? David is saying, God, you're the judge. I'm not the judge. God, I don't have to take matters into my own hands. And so, God, I trust you because you're the king. And so I know your timing and your wisdom is best. And so, God, I trust that you will make things right in your way and in your timing. You see, praying our anger reminds us also to end this point that God hears our cries of injustice, pain, and sorrow. Some of you this morning have been abused. Some of you have been mistreated, ignored, bullied, taken advantage of, and no one has listened to you. This psalm is a gift because this psalm tells you there is one who listens to you. There is one who has heard you. God hears you. God knows. God cares about your pain. God cares about what's been done to you. God is angry alongside you, even more angry than you are about the wrong that has been done to you. Psalm 58 is such a gift, and I'm so glad it's in our Bibles because they give words, don't they, to our dark places. They give uh, words to our difficult and hard places, and they remind us that God welcomes our pain. He welcomes our anger. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this, Amazing quote, it is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously. It's an act of profound faith to entrust your most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously. Pray your anger. If you stuff it or you suppress it, It will end up coming out of your life in very unhealthy ways and harming the relationships with the people you love the most. If we don't take our anger to God, we're going to be taking our anger somewhere. Last point, we need hope. We need Jesus, don't we? 
And some of you this morning, maybe you're feeling discouraged or hopeless or helpless because you feel like, I've struggled with anger my entire life and it doesn't seem a bit better this morning. Or maybe this morning you're thinking, I'm realizing that my anger is totally misdirected because I'm so self-absorbed and it's in the wrong direction. Or maybe you're realizing this morning that you're not angry enough. Maybe you're realizing that you're apathetic and bored and you don't love anything well. And you're not passionate about anything in life. Or maybe you think that, hey, I got this. I I can handle my anger. I just need to be more disciplined and take a few more deep breaths when I feel it coming on and walk around the office. Or maybe I should go for a walk around the block and maybe those things work and are helpful. But no matter where you are this morning... None of us can manage and handle our anger on our own. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the hope of the gospel and the power of the gospel if we're ever going to use our anger in healthy and redemptive and uh, and healthy ways. And the righteous and the way to righteous and healthy anger is by understanding the anger of God. Think about our definition of anger. Anger is defined when something, it's the response to something you love, being threatened, damaged, or destroyed. And so what is the thing that God loves that has been threatened, damaged, or destroyed? It's not a trick question. The answer is you. That's the thing God loves. God hates and is angry about what sin has done to you. And what, God, what sin has done to the world. And he's angry that his good creation and we, he created a paradise. And humanity rebelled against him and turned and went on their own way. And so the bad news is that because of that, because of our rebellion against God, we rightly deserve God's displeasure. That we rightly deserve his wrath and anger. And that's why the gospel's so sweet. That's why the, that Jesus is so much better than anything else in the world. Because the good news of the gospel is that thousands of years after this psalm was written, the anger of God was poured out on not us who deserve it, but it was poured out on God's one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took all of the wrath And all of the anger in our place on the cross. Jesus was our substitute. And it's on the cross that Jesus takes away the thing that God hates. So that God the Father can have the thing that he cherishes and loves. Which is us. You see, Jesus died for all the ways you explode in anger this week. He died for the ways we ignore and suppress. Jesus gives us his perfect record of righteousness. And the gospel is such good news because it means that because of Jesus, God is no longer angry with us. It means that you matter to God. It means that God is not indifferent towards you. That he's willing to put his son on the cross in order to have you and in order to be with you. 
What I want you to see this morning is that that's the fuel. That's actually the power for using our anger. It's the gospel. That's the fuel for using our anger in healthy ways rather than destructive ways. Why? Well, because think about it. The gospel allows you and gives you stability of God's love and allows you to actually deal with your anger. You don't have to suppress it or hide it. You can deal with it. You can repent of it. You can say you're sorry to people when you use it in unhealthy ways. It gives you courage and the the ability and space to actually deal with your anger and to start changing. And what about you this morning if you're not angry enough and you're bored and apathetic with the world? Well, see the passion that God has for you. That God will never stop pursuing you. That he will never give up on you. And when you see how deeply you are loved and being loved like that, what that does is breathe life into you and gives you passion so that you really start loving God's people in God's world. You see, real hope is staring you, real hope for your anger is staring you in the face this morning through the person of Jesus Christ. And so will you, wherever you are, will you bring your anger this morning to Jesus? And yes, that's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son. Forgive us for the ways we misplace and misuse our anger. Holy Spirit, help us to identify, to pray, to look to the power of the gospel in our anger. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.